Hi, and welcome to our new podcast, Joining the Threads, where we explore the themes of sustaining individuals, building community and expanding knowledge, the pillars which underpin a resilient and responsive volunteer wildlife care sector. My name is Susie Nethercott-Watson, and I'm the founder of a national charity called Two Green Threads. I live on the southern tablelands of New South Wales in Australia on a rural property with my husband and an amazing ebb and flow of wildlife. These podcasts reflect on the wildlife carer's journey, inspiring conversations which join the threads of the people side of caring for our rescued, orphaned and rehabilitated wildlife. So a very warm hello to those listening today. Two Green Threads will be doing a series of podcasts and webinars over the coming months, but we've chosen to start at the topic of self-care. Why? Well, because there are additional contexts to our role as wildlife volunteers, which are heightening the impacts of our volunteer efforts to assist wildlife. And they've come in the form that many of us don't need to have mentioned again, but severe droughts, bushfires, floods, and of course, COVID. Being a wildlife sector volunteer is a home-based role. So much of it, it can feel like it's just us in our homes and on our properties. As a result, the focus on how to support and sustain individuals is an important pillar of Two Green Threads, which is aiming to empower and energise the lives of those that care for wildlife. If the mere mention of self-care has created a glaze in your eyes, of not relevant as I'm looking after animals, not looking after myself, then I'm just gonna ask you to stick with us just for a little bit as we explore why this reaction might happen. You're not alone here. I have for a long time been working on loosening up my shutdown when the term gets used or mentally ticking off an exasperated internal answer. Of course I do self care. I eat food, I drink tea, I get sleep when I can and I try to remember to do something enjoyable every now and again. Well, it's conversations like us that try to explore what I know I have a bit of a problem with, and I thought it might be beneficial to share this conversation wider with the wildlife care sector. As a result, I'd like to provide a very warm welcome to our special invited guest, Jessica Dolce. Jessica works in a helping the people who are helping the animal space, just like two green threads. Jessica has been on this journey for many years now and her perspectives and experiences are relatable and a worthy topic of a good conversation. Jessica is joining us late into her night in her time. So thank you for staying engaged and on for us, Jessica, at such a time over there. Thank you so much for having me, Susie. I wanted to acknowledge an appreciation for you joining us at this difficult time for you and your country. You did that so wonderfully for me when we talked during the bushfires that we were having in Australia. And I was really appreciative of you reaching out and connecting at that time. And so in a similar sort of way, um, you know, it's pretty amazing that you're finding the time and space in amongst everything that's going on over there with you in the US at the moment. So again, much appreciation for joining today. Oh, thank you. I really am honoured to be here. So thank you. That's all right. I just wanted to explain to people how I came across you. Uh, and it was one of those random internet searches, which I'm not sure if you do, but um, <laughs> I, I jump from one thing which excites and interests me to another thing, to another thing, to another thing, such that when people say, how did you find me? I actually normally can't remember. But however that happened, I came across your page 
and was instantly feeling like I had met a kindred spirit. So it was um, a pretty random meeting that I was really um, taken with how you were expressing this journey of helping people that are helping animals and what that meant. And I see so much of the journey that you've gone on and what you've done with the wider animal caring world to our space here in terms of our journey with looking after wildlife. And I'm really appreciative of how you express your work and very practical and that you understand that people will put animals first, but that in doing so, we expose ourselves to a whole bunch of threats and risks. So thank you so much for being around today, Jessica. And is there anything you wanted to say in terms of opening up? Um, I just want to apologize that you all have to listen to an American accent for a while. <laughs> I wish I could put on a lovely Australian voice for you. So between talking about self-care and an American accent, I want to thank all of you who are still here and listening. And with that being said, I'm excited to talk with you about how we can care for ourselves so we can all keep making an impact for animals. Thanks, Jessica. And that's, you know, the same message that Two Green Threads is trying to do, which is if we look after ourselves, then we can look after the lives and support our wildlife for much longer because effectively sustained individuals means the volunteer effort for supporting animals can continue on a broader and longer scale. So Jessica, you had an animal calling as well, and you're now in a helping people, helping animal space. There's a parallel obviously with the wildlife sector that we talked about, and you work with a lot of volunteers as part of the animal shelter sector. Um, who are giving so much of themselves. So, you know, that's a good sort of space that we share in trying to yeah. work out how to help the volunteers who are giving so much of themselves away. Yeah. And I was a volunteer for a very, very long time. So it's, um, uh, there's a special place in my heart for people who are doing this without it being connected to how they're making a living uh, and how often it feels like very uncharted territory when you're working on your own as a volunteer or you're running your own organization as a volunteer. There are extra and specific um, stressors that I think come along with that. So whatever we can do to be a support to people who are willing to give of themselves in this way, I think is really important. Yeah, you use a phrase that I really connect with a fair bit because I've, um, I probably haven't explained to people that I've done a fair bit with you over the last few years and you talk about that it takes a lot of courage to care and it's a phrase I think that is really important to re reflect on. Yeah, I, the, my shorthand for I think my philosophy with this work is to encourage all of us to practice compassionate badassery. And I use that phrase because compassionate badassery to me is this reminder that it takes a lot of courage, which includes, I think, two components, a strong back, but also a softness in your heart, a kindness in your heart, that kind of combination of um, compassion and strength to show up when animals and people and the environment are suffering in this way, it really, it's a really beautiful and challenging thing to do. And yet, in the culture that we live in and the workplaces that we're in and the volunteer cultures that we're operating in, what I have found over time is that it takes just as much courage 
to set healthy limits around this work that we love so that we can care for ourselves. So self-care is in some ways the riskier thing to do because it goes against the norms of the animal welfare or care culture and even our larger culture, our Western culture, our capitalist culture, um, where we're saying, hey, we matter too, and we love this work and we want to keep doing it, but we also know that we need to set some time and energy aside for our, ourselves. And over time, I've come to realize that it takes the same amount of courage, if not more, to try to walk that path in the middle of caring for others, caring for animals specifically, and caring for ourselves. And that, that's a, that is a really challenging sweet spot to find. And often it will put you at odds with other people that you probably respect and care about and want to be um, welcomed by. And you may be a bit of an outsider if you are staking out some space for yourself. Yeah, I think, you know, you've expressed what I sort of term as the duality of trying to be able to look after animals whilst ensuring that you're in a healthy enough state to continue to do that. So yeah. we, you know, we often express it as an either or, particularly as those of us doing the focus on supporting our wildlife, but we're trying to work out and weave a place where we can understand how both occurs. And it's not a disrespect to either end, really. No, you know, we're so interconnected. It would be um, almost silly to think that a balance would be bad for either side. And I want to just acknowledge that there is, uh, I think we've all experienced this, myself included, there is an ability to do either or. You can only take care of animals, but at some point that will catch up to you. Yeah. And what I have seen in myself and in thousands of people that I have worked with over the years is that you hit a wall at some point, often, very, very often, it is your body stopping you. So you either get physically or mentally ill because of how hard you have pushed yourself and ignored your own needs. So it is possible to only care for animals for a while. But if yeah. you really want to do this for the long haul and you want to do quality, ethical work that whole time and you want to maybe enjoy your life a little bit, <laughs> then there has to be some effort put into finding that balance so that you can sustain yourself. Otherwise, I've just seen so many people have the choice made for them that they're not going to be able to continue to do the work because they get very sick physically or mentally, whatever it may be. And that could be an injury even. But um, more people than I can count thought that they would be able to ignore their own needs indefinitely only to come to the very, very um, upsetting, devastating realization that they had gotten to themselves into a point where they had no choice but to cease to stop doing work with animals altogether. And I should add that sometimes it's financial too. You know, people yeah. lose their homes because of this. So if there are people out there listening, thinking, I, I am absolutely able 
to give 110% just to the animals. It doesn't matter that I don't sleep, you know, that I barely eat anything, that I haven't gone to the dentist in 10 years. I would say, you know, great, but at some point that choice will likely be made for you that you're going to have to choose to take care of yourself. Um, and I feel like you're talking directly to me there, just yeah. because <laughs> I haven't been to the dentist for 10 years. So um, I think I'm falling directly into that space. Can I tell you a quick story to scare you into going, <laughs> please? Oh, no, don't scare me into going. I don't like well, going to the is, dentist enough. <laughs> I, want, I want to um, really drive home this point. Uh, years ago, I was introduced to someone who used to be a volunteer at a rescue, and the rescue no longer existed. And that was because the founder of the rescue um, died of essentially an abscess in her mouth. Uh, It became toxic because she didn't go to the dentist. And so I say this because sometimes we can't hear this message unless we talk about it in extremes. But this denial of, oh, it's okay that I have a toothache. I'm tough. I can suck that up and deal with the pain fine, (laughs) but eventually there are limits to what we can sustain in our bodies. And I don't want anybody to get to the point where they are incapacitated or dead because they thought they could go just a little bit longer before they paid attention to the what was happening physically or mentally or financially in their lives. And so what is important to remember is often we wind up having to cut back and do a little bit less in order to take care of ourselves. But over the long haul, we wind up maybe doing even more. So it's the sprint versus marathon mentality, I think. We can get a lot done by sprinting, but often it takes us out of the race. If we pace ourselves with some care and sustainable activities for ourselves, it just means that we get to do the work we love with animals for as long as we live. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. I, I agree. And I think that's, you know, one of the sort of fundamental messages that I think we have to repeat to ourselves and each other. And to that, in that respect, you know, the examples that you've talked about just then are about where the body has essentially said to the individual, no, you can't keep going in terms of, your space having helped people now for what I think is nearly 10 years. What's been your experience where people actually are able to have conversations either with themselves or with each other about the sort of impact that the role is having before potentially the body has said something or even as a result of, is it, do you find that people are willing to admit to themselves that the role can have an impact Yeah, it's interesting because consistently what um, organizations tell me is that it's the number one topic that their staff or their members are requesting information on. Compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma, self-care stress. It's the number one thing that people want help with. And they're very aware that the work is impacting them and their coworkers or their colleagues or fellow volunteers. We can see it in each other. So I don't tend to have a lot of difficulty um, convincing people that this is something worth looking into. 
the resistance that I bump up against is everybody wants to know what to do to, you know, manage the negative impacts. But when they find out that it's not a simple fix, this is where I lose people. <laughs> so it's everybody wants there to be a pill that I can, a supplement that I can recommend that will make them invincible. <laughs> or there is a, you know, simple exercise video that they can do where they will no longer have these really intense emotions or feelings of guilt about the work. You know, they, they really want a concrete quick fix. And I can completely relate to that. I would love that as well. Um, but I think but it's, not, it's part yeah. of that, isn't it part of the difficulty of the self-awareness journey to even get to a point that says, okay, I'm going to need to start to work out how to um, provide a healthier self to keep doing some of this. And there's, it's a pretty confronting self-awareness journey for people that are motivated and are putting animals and wildlife first, isn't it? Yes. So I think there, there's an intuitive understanding that something is wrong. I mean, I, I get very little pushback on the idea that like, yeah, I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm really angry all the time, or I'm really sad all the time, or I can't sleep anymore. You know, this stuff is easy for people to admit, even if they're not particularly invested in a journey, you know, a self-awareness journey, they know that something is off. But the, the actual work that needs to be done does require a level of self-awareness that many people who are engaged in helping professions um, have actively been avoiding. It may even be why they were drawn to being a helper because it allowed them to always focus on anyone or anything besides themselves. So there is a lot of um, resistance to this idea of I'm going to have to get to know myself and pay attention to myself if I want to be well. And so it's not so much that there's resistance to the idea they've been impacted by it, but that the, the, that the journey towards wellness is probably going to be um, very uncomfortable. Uh, and there's a lot of growth in the journey of getting healthier and well. And if we can stick with it, I think we often wind up wiser, more resilient, more compassionate people than we were when we began the work. But it is, uh, it's a journey and it's not a straight line from point A to point B. And so it's, um, that can be really frustrating, I think, or, you know, off-putting to a lot of people. And I understand that. So do you, is there something that you've found in your experience working for so long with people in this space about why it's difficult to have conversations with ourselves and each other's apart from, uh, recognizing the impacts, sort of moving into that next step of being able to explore, well, what is it we could do? What are the, some of the barriers that you've seen? Well, often by the time people are willing to start having these conversations, they've been ignoring themselves for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So when we start to have these conversations or we start building awareness around it, it's a little bit like, you know, ripping off a Band-Aid and there's a lot going on underneath. There's a lot of, there may be years and years and years of things that we haven't dealt with, a lot of emotions that we've been storing up, a lot of um, stories that haven't been shared. And so on some level, I think it's just overwhelming uh, and it feels safer to just 
put everything back in the bottle, (laughs) bottle it up and store it away. So I think this is why it's so important, the work that you're doing. We need to start normalizing these conversations and the self-sustaining activities much, much earlier in our careers as caregivers so that we're not coming to this point where we have like a 10 or 15 or 20 year backlog yeah. that we need to process. Yeah. And so it's just like the physical care of animals. The sooner we intervene for them, if they have a medical condition, you know, most likely will be easier to help heal them. If we wait until they're in a dire place where their systems are failing, we're going to have to pull out all the stops and put in a huge amount of energy to try to save them, you know, whether that's a behavior or a medical problem. And it's the same for us. We tend to not pay any attention to ourselves until we are in a terrible, terrible place where we can no longer ignore whatever is happening within us or what's happening with our relationships. You know, it's a divorce or losing our house or losing our health. And so the sooner that we can start having these conversations, the less, we'll, less backlog we'll need to get through in order to start feeling like we're making some progress and feeling a little bit better uh, because th- of our efforts. Yeah. It, it's sort of connected to a more general societal theme about, you know, having a level of normalization and it's okay to talk about your mental well-being or emotional well-being. I think, you know, we're trying to also do that for this space as well. And I think potentially sometimes one of the barriers is that people have a fear that there's some sort of um, indication of not coping if you talk about it. And I think that's where, to me, trying to normalise the conversations that recognises talking about how being a wildlife volunteer may impact you uh, is not a, a problem in the sense of it's a case of being able to share that and be part of a journey of that with someone else so that it's not just yourself feeling it and, and not wanting to talk about it. Yeah. This is what I mean about compassionate badassery. It takes a lot more courage to share your story and to be open and vulnerable with someone else who you respect uh, than it is to keep it bottled up. So there is this, story that we're all telling ourselves that we should be able to handle all of this. We should just be able to cope on our own, or we shouldn't have to ask for help, or we shouldn't have to, you know, get together and share our stories. Um, And this is a judgment that we've put on ourselves probably from, you know, the culture that we have grown up in, our workplaces, our family, this kind of stiff upper lip, or, you know, in America, it's pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do it all by yourself. It's like rugged individualism. And it's so harmful because it keeps us from the very things that the research makes very clear are helpful to human beings when they are in high stress environments, when they're exposed to trauma. So we, we layer on a lot of judgment around, you know, what we need and part of moving out of some of these negative impacts of the work is to stop judging ourselves for what we need, whether that's needing to sleep or eat or needing to connect with someone and share our stories so that we can let go of some of what we're carrying around. And it starts with, and I'm doing, you know, I've been doing courses with you in terms of um, self-care and 
we're going to be doing uh, Jessica Dolce and Two Green Threads a webinar together on the 24th of September at 11am Australian Eastern Standard Time. And one of the things that I really came on a journey to is you're talking about the stories that we tell ourselves. Well, there's a story about self-care before we even get to a story about what's happening to ourselves. And I know that I am one of those individuals that would shut down at that term. And for me, part of the reframing that I'm making a little bit of headway into is turning the word self-care into self-sustainment because it's that message back to my values that this is about doing things to help others because in the end, if I help myself, I'll be able to help others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the way in for most of us um, and most of the people I work with. I would love for everyone to invest in themselves because you are worthy of it and you deserve <laughs> to be well because you also are an animal on this earth and deserve to be well simply because you exist. But as Susie is laughing, because we know that that is not how most of us feel and that that is a real journey that I'm still on the, you know, the, the part about just feeling worthy simply because you exist on this planet. So I would love if that was the reason why you invested in yourself. I know that that probably won't be for many people, particularly when it is their first dance with this idea of uh, sustaining ourselves. And so this is why it's really important to understand that when we are compromised, when we have empathy fatigue or compassion stress or vicarious trauma, it impacts the quality of the work that we do. And so if you're not ready to take care of yourself simply because you deserve it, then take care of yourself so that you can give the best quality, most ethical, most effective care for the longest amount of time to the animals who need you. And if that needs to be how you frame it, great. And maybe <laughs> one day you'll do it <laughs> simply because you two are an animal deserving of it. But that's okay. You don't have to start there. It's too hard. <laughs> that's right. I'm, I consider myself a work in progress, Jessica. Yeah, Thank we you. all are. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the other angle that we haven't touched on in terms of trying to ensure that we do look after ourselves so we can look after animals for longer is to some extent, um, not being able to have places to express and talk about some of the impacts that it might be having of us also detracts from what are the positive impacts of the role that we do. It, it means we don't get a chance to stay in that space and recognise those moments um, in the way that they should be felt and experienced and valued as part of the volunteer work that we're doing. Yeah, we miss out on the opportunity to celebrate and to connect over the joy of the work. You, I mean, particularly because you're volunteers, you're not doing this because it brings you great wealth or fame or anything else that you do this because you love it. It has deep meaning for you. And to isolate yourself from the community of people who most understand and most value the same thing, uh, who would truly understand the small joys of the care that you're giving these animals is such a loss so there has to be a way that we come together. And unfortunately, I think when we're feeling really burnt out or stressed out or whatever we want to call it, most of us have a real tendency to isolate ourselves. Yeah, and maybe yeah. you already are because you, of the, just the dynamic of being a home-based volunteer, you're already isolated. 
but you may be withdrawing even more. The worse that you feel, the less energy you have, the sadder or more angry you become, the less you want to be around any people in your life. And unfortunately, we absolutely need caring, supportive human beings in our life in order to recover from the stress of the work and to be able to access compassion satisfaction, that deep satisfaction that you get from knowing that what you have done matters, that it makes a difference, that it was a good effort, that it was in line with your values. We really need the social support. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, but they having some quality relationships is going to be the key to your resilience and satisfaction. Um, and so to be able to share your stories with people who understand the sorrows and the joys is so, it's so important on so many levels um, that it's worth exploring how we care for ourselves individually, but also how we care for ourselves as a community uh, so that it's not just about any one of us thriving or doing better, but really about you know, the, what is it, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships, you know, that yeah. everybody is starting to feel better uh, because you, of the you quality. Have a, you have a yeah. good saying there that sort of connects that. So self-care uh, feeds communicare. I think you, it's the phrase yeah. you use, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, yep. Something like it's self-care is community care and community care is self-care. You know, when we take care of ourselves, we show up for our community a more deeply resourced, calm, safe, compassionate human. So we bring ourselves into community and our presence as a healthy human helps regulate, heal, make other people feel safe and cared for. And so our community benefits when we're well. And then when we're all in community helping each other and caring for each other, that absolutely increases not just the quality of life for the collective, but for each one of us as an individual. So they're, they're really not separate. We take care of ourselves. It helps everyone around us. That community lifts us up and it just keeps going in a nice, you know, circle. Yeah, sort of circle. Yeah. Sustaining individuals builds community in that sort of way, but obviously only if we share and talk um, yeah. as part of that. And I think, you know, obviously in the COVID world, that becomes even more important because the sense of isolation gets more embedded. But um, I think in terms of just, because I know that you and I have the capacity to talk for many, many, many hours. So <laughs> um, working out a way to wrap up uh, what is a, a constrained conversation, because it must have an end for the sake of our audience. <laughs> um I just wanted to sort of pick up on uh, how much I have benefited from um, being challenged on my stories of self-care and what difference it can make. And I, you know, am one to fully admit that I have really haven't cracked this. I've got my first foot in the water in terms of trying to ensure that I can um, provide um, some sort of element to it. But one of the messages I think um, that I really, really resonated with how you talk about um, self-sustainment is the depth to which you cover and I think we've as a society uh, often categorized self-care or self-sustainment into a sort of pleasurable activities bucket and you know it's way more than just a simple list of things that you can go and do to 
um, get a little bit of pleasure in your life. And I think I really respect that. And what's one of the things I'm looking forward to as part of the webinar that you and I are doing on the 24th of September, because we can start to explore some of those deeper messages and what it is that we sort of say ourselves. And I remember, I think it was about two years ago when you and I first had a conversation and you were driving very appropriately and nicely hard on me about how I was driving myself very hard and you were saying you know why are you doing that why are you doing that and I said well because it's selfish (laughs) not to and I remember you you picking at you know my thinking in that regard again very appropriately and gently but um, it was sort of from that moment that I started to go well you know where does it sit where does the value of looking after animals sit or the service to others that I think I have sit with looking after myself and I think that's where when we explore in the webinar, we can get to a level of depth about what are our, our stories that we tell ourselves. What are the barriers that we put ourselves in place of before we can even get to a space of self-awareness about what it is we might need? Yeah, it's, it's really complicated. There are yeah. good reasons why we're all struggling with self-care. And, you know, the question that I think I asked recently in a webinar that you were part of, Susie, and maybe we can explore this in our webinar together is, you know, who benefits when you're completely exhausted and broken? And it's easy to say, oh, just the animals. But part of challenging yourself around self-sustainment or self-care is to look at the systems that we all live in. And if we are all struggling with self-care, all of us, when all of us are exhausted, and I don't even just mean wildlife caregivers or animal care people, but all of us, as, a, as Western societies, we are a very unhealthy, unhappy, exhausted group of people. This has to, then we need to look at this beyond any individual. So it's exciting that we can dig into this in a webinar where we look at both our individual stories and barriers around these issues, but also to widen the lens a little bit to look at what's happening in our culture that sets us up for this, that Mm. makes us feel so incredibly uncomfortable with the idea of rest or looking after ourselves. And I think it's important that we challenge ourselves to look at it from those two or more lenses, because then I think we're doing it justice um the challenge that we're all experiencing that this this is hard and it's not just you one person here and one person there it's all of us so it has to be bigger than any one of our limitations as a a single human being something is happening for all of us and so i just want to honor that this is something if you're struggling with it yes there's something happening that is specific to you but the challenge is real and it is bigger than any one of us. It's the water that we're swimming in. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, you know, in terms of just trying to, uh, you know, pick up on one another, you know, one of the things that I've really benefited from and why I think I'm hoping that the webinar will be able to provide a good amount of information for people on the 24th of September is this co-regulation that you talked about, you know, in the sense Mm. that we pick up on, 
um, how we're going. And I think from that regard, I've picked up, you know, a lot in terms of how you talk through things, how you present that. And I'm really, really appreciative of the fact that you're in this space and doing this journey and you've been able to join us tonight. Um, and so thank you so much, Jessica. But before we go, I was wondering if you could just spend a minute um, because we've had a wonderful conversation before we went on air about a little animal in your backyard <laughs> that you have become fascinated with. And um, I think, you know, it will resonate with our audience because our audience are animal people. So tell us what you have been able to experience. So for the last two weeks, I have been spending my mornings and evenings, including as soon as we hang up, I am going to <laughs> go straight into my backyard to sit with um, a porcupine who has come to live in my yard. And I, I, it sounds like you don't have porcupines exactly no. in um, Australia. We have echidnas, but, but they're, not, they're not really porcupines at all. So, yes, very special. But, yes, keep going. So the, so, but I think you all know what they are because this is the, the world that you live in and value. And so this porcupine has come to live in our gardens and in my mulberry tree. Uh, and so every morning I go out to look for her to see where she is. And then I just sit next to her <laughs> as close as she'll let me. And we just um, kind of meditate in the morning and evening. And I'm really enjoying watching her uh, very, very slowly, she moves as slow as a tortoise, uh, walk around and climb trees. And last night when I was watching her um, crawl through the brush in my yard, I got to see her baby come out of the brush uh, and meet her. And then they, I know, and uh, I was just literally biting my fingers so I wouldn't make any noise to disturb them. Uh, and I just stood there for about a half hour in my pajamas watching them. Uh, and so you'll have to excuse me, but I've got to go look at my porcupine. <laughs> That's okay. We can, I think, officially regard that as an energy-giving moments there from the description yes. and ones yes. that um, we often get to experience with our wildlife that we are raising, but sometimes maybe don't appreciate and share that with one another well enough. So thank you for sharing that story and very much um, appreciate your time tonight, Jessica, and your insights and perspective on what is a really important topic. Thank you so much, Susie, and thank you to everyone who is listening and for all that you do and all that you are. I appreciate all of you so much from across the, across the world. I appreciate all of you so much. Well, a big virtual world hug to you as we <laughs> sign off. Thanks, Jessica.